0: If you'll please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And while you are standing, turn in your Bibles to the book of Micah. The book of Micah. will be in Micah chapter 5. And if you do not have a Bible, please feel free to use a pew Bible in front of you. You can find today's passage, Micah 5, on page 530. Page 530. Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 2, reading through verse 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth, Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this one shall be peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land, and when he trends, In our palaces, then we shall raise—excuse me—raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, Father, we come. We humbly come before you, Lord, thanking you, Lord, that you are a promise keeper. Father, as we just read, Lord, you promised the one to come. As we celebrate this Christmas season, as we remember Christ who gave up the riches of heaven to come to be born in a manger, fully man, yet fully God, who knew no sin to become sin for us. We praise you, Lord. Father, I think of each individual that is here, Lord. I pray that you speak to them in a powerful way, that you used Pastor Bruce this morning, that you would convict us, that you would open our hearts and our eyes to what you would have for us this morning. We give you the praise. In your name I pray, amen. Greatest cities in the
1: world, what would you consider to be one of them? There are a lot of choices you could choose from, but what would you consider to be the greatest city in the world? Some people might say New York City is one of those, others might say London, Still others might say Tokyo or Sydney, one thing is for sure, no one says Bethlehem. When Mark Twain visited the Holy Land back in the 1860s, he did not find this little town of Bethlehem very impressive. In fact, he wrote later of its moldy domes and towers and scorned its noisy mob and leprous beggars. He said he was never so glad to get away from a place in his life, and yet, years later, he wrote to a fellow traveler on that same trip that he was glad that he had been to Bethlehem and that it was indeed a special place to him because despite all of its shortcomings, he knew that our Savior had been born there. As we continue in our Christmas series here, we're going to look at the, the hope that is revealed to us by God in this little town of Bethlehem. In fact, You're welcome to take notes. You can pull that insert out of your bulletins and follow along or just follow on the screen behind me. But notice this here in your notes. The hope of Jesus is revealed by God as a great ruler from the little town of Bethlehem. Today, the little town of Bethlehem is, is really nothing more than a tourist destination. The only people who wanted to visit Bethlehem when Jesus was born there were the shepherds and the wise men. And no one went out of their way to visit Bethlehem when Micah uttered this prophecy some 750 years before Jesus was born. But Bethlehem, this little town, is living proof that big things do come in small packages, making it one of the most famous towns in all the world. In fact, people sing about this town in the Christmas carol O little town of Bethlehem. So, as we progress here this morning, let's answer the question, who is Micah? After all, this prophecy is in his little Old Testament book, Micah. So, who is this guy? Well, Micah was a prophet of God, and his name means, who is like Yahweh? Of course, the answer is, No one is like Yahweh. No one is like our God. And that's the message that Micah proclaimed to God's people. Micah lived in a time when God's people had turned away from him. In fact, they were now serving false gods and they were living in all kinds of sin and now they were about to be judged for it. And so most of Micah's prophecies were about God's judgment that was about to come upon them. Things were about to get pretty bleak in their land. But in the midst of these dark days, there was good news. And that's what this prophecy focuses on. A great ruler was coming who would save us from our sins and whose kingdom would never end. Look again at the hope that is revealed to us in Micah 5 and specifically here in verse 2. Micah says, But you... Bethlehem, Ephrathah, through you are little, or though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now, let's stop here for a moment and let's kind of make clear the connection between Bethlehem and Jesus. And notice this in your notes, the religious leaders knew that Micah 5.2, this verse we just read, they knew it predicted the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. And so immediately we see this connection now between this little town of Bethlehem, here in the Old Testament, and Jesus' birth in the Gospels here 750 years later this prophecy of the messiah's birth in bethlehem is one of the most remarkable of micah's predictions micah's prophecy of christ's birth was so well known in fact that when king herod sought the location of jesus birth his royal scholars referred to this prophecy and they did so without hesitation matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 Look at it in your notes or in your Bibles. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And so we see here in Matthew that the religious leaders, these scribes and chief priests, they knew that Micah 5-2 was a reference to the coming Messiah. And so they told King Herod, hey, he will be born here in this little town of Bethlehem. Now the interesting thing about all this, that is their reply to King Herod, is that in spite of their knowledge of Micah's prediction. None of the religious leaders took time to investigate it. None of them took time to investigate the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem for themselves. Now they should have been overwhelmed. They should have been filled with excitement. After all, Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. The wise men went to Bethlehem and they found Jesus. But these religious leaders were too apathetic, they were too indifferent to make the short trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. In fact, after all, Bethlehem is only about five, six miles south of Jerusalem, but these religious leaders of Israel didn't even care enough to go and find their newborn king. And so let us here this morning. Let us care enough to examine this prediction here in the prophet Micah's book about a great ruler from the little town of Bethlehem. Now there's two principles or truths that kind of just jump out of the pages of scripture here for us when it comes to this prophecy of Bethlehem and Jesus. Notice the first one. Bethlehem is a little town praised by God It's a little town but it is praised by God Remember Micah predicts the hope of a coming ruler Against the backdrop of some pretty dark and bleak days It was doom and gloom in other words So where should God's people look for this hope of a coming ruler? Well Micah Answers in a way that is rather remarkable and wonderful at the same time. The people are not to look to the high hills of privilege and power, but rather to a little town in the country. He says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Now, Bethlehem was a remarkable place to bring forth such a great ruler because of its insignificance in that day and age. This is seen from Micah's need to tell us not only the name of the town in which Jesus will be born, which is Bethlehem, but also the district in which that town of Bethlehem is in, Ephrathah. So people would not confuse it with another Bethlehem in the same region. For example... If I told you my niece, Abby, played in a basketball tournament in Mound City, most of you would be like, where in the world is that? Mound City, where's that located? But I would also need to tell you that she played in Mound City, Missouri, so that you don't confuse it with Mound City, Kansas. But if I tell you that I'm going to Dallas for Christmas, There's no need for me to tell you what state that I'm going to. Why? Because of the significance, the prominence of Dallas as a city. Everyone here knows where Dallas is located. But Bethlehem was so small, so insignificant, that Micah tells us the district as well as the name. Moreover, Micah tells us that Bethlehem was so small that it wasn't even listed among the Quote, thousands of Judah, or the clans of Judah, when God's people entered the promised land. In fact, when Joshua and the children of Israel entered the promised land, Joshua allotted towns for the tribes of Judah, and Bethlehem was so small, it wasn't even counted. It wasn't even listed. In modern times, Bethlehem was like a small town you kind of drive through on the way to the Lake of the Ozarks. You ever been through one of those towns? You drive through it, it's got one sign here, and 500 yards later, it's got you're leaving this town. And if you blink, you miss it. There's barely a stop sign in the town. And that's sort of what it's like for Bethlehem. But just because Bethlehem was a little town doesn't mean the town wasn't praised by God himself. Bethlehem had great significance in God's eyes. This is the first indicated by its name, Bethlehem. That name means, get this, house of bread. So how fitting that Jesus, who is the bread of life, should be born in the house of bread. Bethlehem is also known as the city of David. It was in this little town that David's great-grandmother, Ruth, met David's future great-grandfather, Boaz. It was in this little town that David's father Jesse was born. It was in this little town that David was a shepherd who kept kept watch over his flock at night and was later anointed king by the prophet Samuel. But now God was saying that someone even more significant than David was going to be born in this little town of Bethlehem. And that is none other than the Messiah, God himself. How this happened is really nothing short of a miracle. Joseph is the adopted father of Jesus, and Mary, his virgin mother, lived where at the time when she was pregnant? They didn't live in Bethlehem, they lived at that time in Nazareth, where Joseph was a carpenter. So how, then... Could Jesus be born in Bethlehem as Micah predicted, since both Mary and Joseph were living in the town of Nazareth? Well, we know how it happened. Luke tells us in his gospel. In fact, you're welcome to turn there or just listen. According to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we read that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now the reason we're told that Jesus was born in Bethlehem is because Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken. Now you can believe one or two things about this, that this was either purely coincidental coincidence or it was providence, the providence of God. And I believe that God orchestrated this census to bring about Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Otherwise, Jesus would have been born in Nazareth. Now, all of this sets the stage for something rather remarkable. It sets the stage for the greatest praise gathering in all the history of the world. In fact, notice this in your notes. The greatest praise gathering in the history of the world took place in this little town of Bethlehem, when Jesus was born, both heaven above and earth below began to sing out the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, there was the proclamation of the angel to the shepherds in Luke 10, or 2, verses 10 through 12, where the angel says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then we see there was a the celebration by the choir of angels, this host of angels in verses 13 and 14, when it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And then last, there is the adoration of the shepherds in verses 15 through 17. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And so immediately we see in a prediction 750 years earlier, here in the Gospel of Luke, that Bethlehem is praised by God. Not only here, but prior to that, it is praised by God throughout its history. So what do we learn from all this though? I mean, what do we take away? What can we learn from this for our own lives now? Here we are in the 21st century. And so what implication does this have for you and me? Well, first of all, there's three lessons. Number one, God always keeps His promises. Listen, God always, always, always keeps His promises. Micah 5.2 reminds us that what God promises... God will do. He's a promise maker and He's a promise keeper. What God plans to accomplish, He will always bring to pass. And if God kept His promise in the first coming of Jesus, then we can be certain that God will keep His promise in regards to the second coming of Jesus as well. This prophecy reminds us of the certainty of God's Word. He did not fail to send His Son to redeem us the first time. And God will not fail to send His Son to receive us as His sons and daughters the second time. And so let this prophecy here in Micah 5, 2, let it be a reminder to your life here today. Let it be a reminder that God always, always keeps His promises. Now I know there are times when we go through life, and it seems like, where is God? We go through circumstances, we go through trials and troubles, suffering, heartache, sickness, whatever the case may be, and sometimes we question that. Sometimes we wonder, where is God in all of this? What is He doing? What is His plans? I thought you loved me, Lord. I thought you weren't going to forsake me. I thought thought, thought this. Well, at the end of the day, when you put your head on your pillow, Let your thoughts go to this promise. And let your heart be reminded that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what is going on around your life in this world, God always, always keeps his promises. You can bank on it. That is one lesson to take away from this little town here. A second lesson is, God delights to use the unlikely. To better display his glory. In choosing a little town like Bethlehem, we are reminded of how God works. He chooses the unlikely and even the unworthy things in order to better display his own glory. God chose a small, insignificant town in the country, and he does something there, get this, that literally changes the course of history. In eternity, Why? Because when God acts this way, we can't boast then in the merits of people, but only in the mercy of God. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. It says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and He despised, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. And then in verse 31, He says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so God chose a stable so no innkeeper could boast. He chose the comfort of my inn. God chose a manger so no carpenter could boast. He chose the craftsmanship of my bed. And God chose Bethlehem so no one in that town could boast. The greatness of our city is why Jesus was born here. Now what is true of Bethlehem is also true of human hearts where Christ chooses to dwell. Listen, God comes not to the proud and the self-righteous but to sinners who are humble and broken before Him. The deepest meaning here of Bethlehem then is that God does not bestow the blessings of the Messiah, the blessings of salvation on the basis of our greatness, on our merit, on our achievement. No, no, no. And so let us say with the angels, glory to God in the highest. Listen, it's not glory to us, but joy to us and glory to God. Which then brings us to a third lesson here. And that is the true hope. The true hope of Christ's followers lies in God's sovereign grace. Listen, God did not choose Bethlehem because it was prestigious. He did not choose Bethlehem because it was powerful. Listen, it wasn't. It was insignificant. It was lowly. God chose to elevate Bethlehem simply because of His grace, even though it was undeserving. And we need to realize this is exactly what God does with us. Listen, think about it. We, all of us here, we don't deserve to be saved. None of us do. We are all sinners who deserve eternal death. And yet God in His grace chooses us. He draws us to Himself and He convicts us of our sin and He grants us the faith to receive Jesus as our Savior and to be saved from our sins. And so the little town of Bethlehem here reminds us in a very vivid way that our Only hope in life and for eternity lies in God's sovereign grace. So the first thing we learn in Micah's prophecy is that hope is revealed in the little town of Bethlehem. But the second thing we learn is that this hope is none other than Jesus Christ. The little town of Bethlehem is praised by God. And number two, Jesus is a great ruler promised by God. There, this was the hope, this was the good news Micah declared to his generation in verse 2 when he says, Out of you, Bethlehem, shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. And folks, get this Jesus is not just any ruler, he is a great ruler. He is the great ruler. As Micah declares at the end of verse 4 For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is in contrast to all the rulers or kings who ruled over Israel in past generations leading up to this prophecy. They were kings with many flaws and great limitations. Some of these kings were good, but most of them were evil and wicked. In fact, Israel's greatest king... What this city is known as, the city of David. And so Israel's greatest king, David, fell miserably. And most of you know the story of David. And now his house, the house of David, is in shambles at the time of this prophecy. But Jesus, here is the righteous king, who is promised by God, who is great in his divinity who is great in His ministry and great in His authority. In fact, let us take a few minutes just to break that down a little bit. Notice this. This promised ruler is great in His divinity. Speaking of the Messiah, Micah writes at the end of verse 2, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And that's an interesting phrase. We don't use it today much. But this phrase reminds us that Jesus Christ had a birth but not a beginning. The phrase goings forth, it means place of origin. In other words, it's where you come from. And for me, that is none other than the great metropolis of Kiowa, Kansas. How many have heard of it? That's kind of what I thought. Bill and Cindy, because, well, they're from the great state of Kansas. Bill, we didn't get a lot of amens on that. Yeah. Yeah. I was born on December 4th, 1966, in Kiowa, Kansas, and so I can say I have gone forth from a little town in Kansas. Look what Micah says about Jesus, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting In other words, what Micah is telling us here, that Jesus came from eternity. He would be born in Bethlehem, but his goings forth are from where? Eternity. Jesus, in other words, did not come into existence here in Bethlehem. He already had existed eternally with the Father in heaven. And this is exactly what John the Apostle said about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John tells us in verse 14, in the Word, speaking of Jesus Christ, he what? He became flesh and dwelt among us this is christmas this is the incarnation and we beheld his glory the glorious of the only begotten of the father who is full of grace and truth and so jesus the promised ruler is great in his divinity yes he had a birth here in bethlehem that we celebrate at christmas time but not a beginning he has existed forever and jesus will continue to exist forever So he's great. He's a great ruler in his existence and who he is. Number two, this promised ruler is great in his ministry, though. Micah describes Jesus' ministry as a shepherd-savior here in verse 4. Look what he says. And he, speaking of Jesus, this coming ruler, shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Micah says that the people of God who have been scattered and who are about to be judged because of their sins will be gathered and fed by Jesus like a shepherd gathers and feeds his sheep. Shepherd. Shepherd, Savior. Those are terms that Jesus actually used of himself when he walked on this earth. You go to the Gospel of John, and Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, I am the good what? Shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then you go back to the Old Testament, and the prophet Isaiah, who was a contemporary of Micah, he writes in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, speaking of the shepherd Savior, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the only hope for Israel, as for everyone, is that God would now send His own Son to suffer the penalty for our sins. Micah tells us in the rest of verse 4, And they shall abide, for now He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. And so here was Israel's only hope that a new David was coming. And he would come in the strength of the Lord, to shepherd them into green pastures. And so Jesus would offer a security scarcely imagined, the assurance of God's blessing through the forgiveness of our sins. This peace Jesus secured for us with his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. That's The peace we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, Micah goes on to describe this peace beautifully in chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, when he asks, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is the work that Jesus came to do for you. Jesus was born to die on the cross so that everyone who then trusts in Him as His Lord and Savior, their sins are now cast into the depths of the sea and they can have peace with God Almighty. They can be reconciled to God and be in a relationship with God for all eternity. This is the ministry that Jesus brought in His first coming and will continue to even bring in His second coming. As Micah's prophecy here is also a prediction for the first and then it has overtones to the second coming, which brings us even to this third greatness about the promised ruler, that he's not only great in his divinity and great in his ministry, but he is great in his authority. Folks, make no mistake about it. The one who was born in Bethlehem was sent by God to rule and reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus came the first time, he demonstrated his authority over all reality. It's interesting. I challenge you, go home and read in Matthew. And read Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And you will find that Jesus in those chapters, He healed a leper. He healed a centurion's son. He calmed a storm raging over the Sea of Galilee. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus healed a paralyzed man. And then He actually forgave his sins. And all of this was done to demonstrate His authority over disease and demons and death, over sickness and storms and sin. And when Jesus came the first time, He demonstrated His authority as this promised ruler. And today... Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And one day, according to the promise of God, this same ruler will come again. You see, Micah is not only predicting the future birth of Jesus here, but he's also predicting the future reign of Jesus that is still to come. Jesus came the first time as a shepherd savior. Folks, do you realize Jesus is coming again as a shepherd king whose rule will extend to the ends of the earth. Just as Simon looked forward to the birth of Israel's Savior, today we should look forward to the coming of Israel's king. For he is not only Israel's king, hopefully you can say he is my king. We know that what Micah predicted will surely come to pass. Jesus Christ is coming again and He's going to set up His kingdom on this earth and He will reign in righteous authority over all the nations. The Apostle John saw this clearly, what Micah predicted, what Micah spoke about. John the Apostle says in Revelation 19, 11 and 13, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. And so by all means, listen, celebrate Christmas. Celebrate Christmas. Celebrate the traditions that you have with your family and friends with Christmas enjoy the our cultural festivities of Christmas and in the trees and the lights and the gift giving and and the parties and whatnot enjoy it all celebrate it in fact I got to share just a little bit here in our family of four Jack and I we're kind of the Christmas uh well we enjoy Christmas a lot don't we Jack this is my youngest son, Jack, sitting up front here, for those of you who don't know him. And, and be, due to some circumstances in our family's life, my, my dear wife, for the sake of her sanity, decided that it would be best for our whole family if we didn't put up a Christmas tree this year. Because we're going to be gone over the holidays on vacation, and, and it was only going to be up for a couple of weeks, and, and, and so she decided that would be better. Although she did decorate a little bit, but we don't have a tree. And Jack and I were just like, oh, oh, that's, that's sacrilege. How can we not have a tree? we got to have a tree, a Christmas tree. We want to celebrate. And I told, I told Jack, I said, Jack, we'll just drive down the, down the road, down the block. There's a house on the corner there, and they go all out decorating. And so every night we'll drive down, and we'll just we'll, we'll stop in the road, and we'll just take it all in, and that will be our celebration and, uh, and then at the last minute, this last week, week Jack got to go over to his, his best friend's house down the road, and he got to help put up their tree. So, so Jack, I'm glad for you. <laughs> Tyler, on the other hand, he's like, whatever, Mom, do whatever, I don't care. So celebrate. By all means, celebrate Christmas. But also, don't forget to celebrate the birth of Jesus that Micah predicted. And above all, anticipate His coming again as the King of kings and Lord of lords. One day, Jesus, this promised ruler, will return and the great Christmas carol, Joy to the World, will finally be fulfilled. Listen to the words. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. And so Micah's prophecy points us not so much to this little town of Bethlehem, but to the great ruler who was born there and is coming back to rule and reign. This means the most important question this morning. The most important question that you can consider is not what are you doing for Christmas. It's not where are you spending Christmas. It's not even what are you getting for Christmas. Listen, the most important question that you can answer this Christmas season is, is Jesus your ruler? You see, the issue is not merely whether Jesus is a great ruler over Israel, but whether Jesus is a great ruler over your life. The question is Have you bowed your knee to him in worship? And have you confessed him as your king? In other words, think of it this way Will Jesus rule, or will Jesus rule as your coming king because you have trusted him as your Savior and Lord? Or will Jesus rule as your coming judge because you have rejected his rule? In your life. Paul says these words. He tells us in Philippians 2, 9-11. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, that is in reference to this prophecy of Micah. He will be a great ruler to the ends of the earth, and the question for us now is, will I be included in that? Will he be my ruler? Will I cry out and worship him as my king? Or will he be coming as my judge? And today, now is the opportunity that God gives for us to choose and to respond to His gift of Jesus Christ. Will you bow your knee to Jesus and confess Him as your Savior and serve Him as your King? Jesus came the first time to save you from your sins and to give you peace with God. But we must respond. We must trust Him as our Savior and receive Him as our King. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, there's no greater gifts that could be given or received in this Christmas season than peace with You. You promised this peace in a ruler who was born in Bethlehem. And so now, Father, we ask that You would grant us faith to trust Him as our Savior and to receive Him as our King so that we may find salvation and peace for all eternity. Lord, do a work now that only You can do by Your Word and Your Spirit. Convict us where we need to be convicted. And give us the grace to respond as we need to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise team's going to sing a chorus. And as they do, right where you're seated, will you respond? If you have yet to make Him your King, cry out to Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Express your heart's desire to worship Him as your King.